0: Hi, I'm Han. And I'm Sheree.
1: You're listening to It Just Got Real.
0: So, Sheree, what's going on? What's real this time?
1: Because there's always something real. That's why we have a show. This week was probably one of my hardest weeks as a founder, as a CEO, as an entrepreneur. All the things definitely goes in my like top three difficult worst week ever. <laughs> In some respects. Oh, no, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah, it was definitely, like, one of those times when you're like, are you going to put your big girl panties on or nah? That was definitely this week. Mm. And really having to deal with the necessary discomfort of that. Yeah. So to fill you in, this week I had to let go of an employee, and I have never fired anybody before, ever. Oh, wow. And doing it in a small team— where you
0: kind of are all like family was really hard. I mean, like HR is really difficult and it's super operational as well. It's like very ops heavy. There's a lot of things people don't realize that you gotta do like plan all the comms. Each conversation needs to be organized like within five minutes of each other. You need to have like paperwork ready to go. There's the whole legal back end of it. It's like it's not a straightforward or easy process on top of all the stress that you're under doing it because it's not fun for the person who has to do it. It's not fun for the person receiving it either. It is not fun for anybody. Definitely not. So the reason it was also
1: hard, it was like the individual nature of like having to do it, but it was also like what it took for me to get there. So it was like I had allowed sort of anxiety and frustration to build and, you know, now realize like that's probably the worst thing to do. Because by the time you do it, you've gone through, like, so many emotions, Mm -hmm. self-doubt. Like, you're just really questioning yourself on if you're, like, doing the right thing. At least I was. And I think through that process, I realized that, like, part of it was a clarity issue. People tell you a lot that, like, early-stage startup hiring is hard. People tell you that you got to have a strong team. You've got to have the right people. But I think I was constantly wondering, like, is it me? So like before I was willing to like take that leap, I wasn't even sure if like the expectations I had for any of my employees was like in alignment with like what people should be doing. And that was also part of it, like realizing like I just didn't have clarity for like what should be the outputs, outcomes, and expectations of like every person. I kind of had a general sense of like, what needed to happen. But when things weren't happening, I had trouble diagnosing it a little bit Mm. and then wondering like, well, am I not giving enough support? And I had a conversation with like one of my mentors and they were basically like in an early stage startup, like where you only have like five, six people max, like Every person has to be like hitting on a thousand.
0: Absolutely. Like every person. It's interesting. I want to sort of tap into something you mentioned, like, oh, am I not giving enough support? I think is a really interesting, like first place to go, especially as as women, because we're often put in that role where we're like supposed to be supporting more. And the reality is in a startup, like you can't actually offer that much support. Like the support that you're offering is the opportunity to have a lot of autonomy. That's what you're offering. You're like giving someone like a huge wide lane to run in super fast in a way that they'd never get another company and then really high expectations. And they, it's not like you're going to get a lot of one-on-ones and a lot of time and a lot of like, check-ins and you know all the other types of support that comes with a big company job too it's not possible absolutely and and you just hit the nail on the head on some of the
1: places I got to when I realized like you have to make this decision mm-hmm. because I was starting to say well let me schedule one-on-ones mm-hmm. and I started feeling my entire time was one-on-ones and coaching and you think this is like being a good leader. If
0: you're in a company of like a hundred people plus.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. And then I realized like, man, I don't have time to make like big leaps because I'm doing these small to medium rocks and pebbles when like, I really want to be doing like the boulder work. Mm -hmm. And so that was a lot, but I think at the other, the other side of it, I finally was able to sit with something I think you told me during the week, which was like firing is better than failing. Mm. And it was like reminding myself that time is not infinite. When you're a startup, you measure your outcomes and impact in days and weeks, Mm -hmm. not even months and years. Like when you're IBM. Like in hours. Yeah, literally (laughs) in hours. And so I really had to sit with that and realize that I had always been making the equation like, well, the salaries aren't that crazy. So maybe that's what's... And I had to realize like what I'm not getting, even for a dollar, is not okay. If you're not getting the absolute best that is in alignment with where you're trying to go, like then that won't work. Even when you're going through the tools you use for your business, like if it's not fundamentally empowering you to do significantly better at something, then like it's got to go. And I think I really needed to sit with that, especially at a time where we just launched a new product in this membership Mm -hmm. and it's beginning to go well. And I need the space to kind of go further. And I can't do that if I'm also like hand holding everyone along with me. Like it just doesn't work. And I think it's a Like you said earlier, I think it's particularly hard as women because I think we do that. For me, it's also like I'm trying to hire from my community Mm -hmm. and I don't want to put someone in my community out of a job. Like, so that was a part of it for me, too, Mm -hmm. especially in the middle of COVID. It was just like, oh, those people that lay off people. And it's just like, actually, you still have to optimize for your business. Yeah. You can't actually optimize for the people you hire.
0: Not at this stage. Yeah. And people don't say that out loud. Like you can later, like I remember working at Twitter, we constantly talked like a metric that we tracked that most, I think all companies track is your attrition rate. And that's important because if you, uh, if it's too high, it can be a signal that your employees are not happy. Um, if it's a too low, it can be a signal that people are Staying in the same place for too long. Like, it's an important internal metric for any company when you get to a certain size. But at a startup, like, if it's not like everything is firing at once in all cylinders, that might be the difference between winning and losing. Like, that's how fragile everything is at every single moment. And it's our jobs to be aware of all of those cylinders firing. And if something's not working and it's really not working, like you got to do something about it, regardless of how gnarly
1: it is. Absolutely. And I think the other piece I got from it was like, and with speed.
0: Yeah. You got to do it right away. Absolutely. Yeah. I loved what you said at the beginning about like (laughs) how you had to put on your big girl panties for this, but really lean into the discomfort of what that's all about. And It's a real feeling. It is. But I I think it was a necessary
1: feeling. Mm -hmm. So I think on the other side of this, a few things started to happen for me, Mm. literally in rapid succession this week. Mm. I think one was having to put on those big girl panties and be like, damn, this is about to get real uncomfortable. It was almost like when I did it, I was like, actually, let me look at all this shit. Like, is this even right? And so in many ways, I was empowered one because I did it and it was like one of those like trying to avoid it don't want to do it kind of things but also it was one of those things too where it was like if you let go someone you care about you better damn sure learn from it Mm -hmm. you know like you you really need to get super clear on what's next the why learning how not to do that again Mm -hmm. it's for me put a fire under me like if we're doing this, like, we got to learn. Fortunately for me, you know, one of my board members who I just, you know, love to pieces was willing to sort of help me not make the same mistake again and, like, roll up the sleeves and go through, you know, one of my, the roles I'm hiring for now and sort of help me get really clear on, like, what is it that you actually need? And I think that's the other part, like, You're like running a mile a minute. You're trying to do job descriptions. You're trying to like, you have some big goal you want to reach and you kind of like know in theory what's going to get you there. But actually you probably know with specificity what's going to get you there. But like, at least for me, our job descriptions didn't say the specificity. Yeah. Actually, you already know what you think exactly is going to get you there. So hire for those things. Mm -hmm. Don't hire for like the general version of those things. Mm -hmm. And I think we're out here, like, at least I was, and and this is what I was called on. It was like, this doesn't even sound like you. Mm. Like, this job description doesn't even sound like it's a company that you lead. It was super corporate, and it was super, like, broad strokes kind of thing. And I realized, like, oh, this is part of the problem. I have very specific expectations, and I'm not considering those, when I'm bringing people on board. Mm. And that might be one of the reasons there's a mismatch, mm. you know? And so really realizing, like, take your time, be super bullish on what you need and don't apologize for it. Mm-hmm. In the same week that I had to let someone go, I had to also rescope a role and be like, this has to look significantly different. And if you want to stay in this new version of it, great. If you don't, sorry, but it's not going to work. Yeah, And to do that, both of those things in one week was a lot, but I do feel a different relationship with my role as CEO now that I've had to do this.
0: Mm, That's good. That sounds like a really good exercise for you. And I think like another really important part of this is With startup job descriptions, I almost want to come up with like a new format for them that isn't based off corporate job descriptions, because there's like a bucket of stuff that's like absolutely on fire, needed it yesterday, hyper specific. If you do not do these things, the company will probably fail. And then there's like another bucket, which is like in broader strokes, like these are some of the other things that like we may grow into or you may have to consider or like, you know, would be really good, nice to haves. This kind of constant tension between like the stuff we need right now or we're going under and then like broader area that you should be interested in because things change so quickly. Like in two months, it might be that you need a totally different thing that's also hyper specific, right? And it still has to kind of fit in with that person's broader scope. But the output can change significantly week to week, Mm -hmm. whereas like the outcomes you want to stay more or less aligned around the same company goals.
1: Absolutely. You just hear these sort of throwaway pieces of advice around hiring that's like, you know, just get smart people in the room and like Mm. everything will work itself. And I'm like, bullshit. No, like, No.
0: I've seen so many rooms with the smartest people ever and all they're doing is getting tangled around each other. Like you need process as well and you need a lot of other things.
1: And you need like to be specific about what's going to move your company forward. Mm -hmm. And you need to hire people. And this is like the other thing that I, I realized maybe too late is that I realized I was hiring for potential.
2: Mm. I was like,
1: this person, they may not have worked in a startup before. They may not have mm. done X, Y, Z before, but they're great. Yeah. And I think we'd work well together. And like these are the kind of considerations I was making. And unfortunately, at an early stage startup, You kind of need the people who have already done it.
0: Yeah. You need boots on the ground. You need people that know how, because there's just no time to like teach people anything. And that kind of goes back to the point about support. There's very little support. There's really no time to teach anybody. You either have to have done it before or you have to be incredibly willing to like just jump in the deep end and figure it out yourself and know that it's going to suck for a little bit. (laughs) Yeah. But be incredibly rewarding and potentially insanely lucrative. I want to like, take a quick step back because I love this conversation that we're having live. And I think it's a really rare and interesting and special conversation because people don't often talk about this stuff. They talk about how much it sucks to get laid off or how much it sucks to get fired. And I want to talk a little bit about that too, especially in this moment that we're in globally with this pandemic so many people have lost their jobs in 2020 and so yeah for those of you listening who unfortunately that might have happened to you you know i want you to know that like we have a huge amount of empathy for being on both sides of this like it's not fun for anybody absolutely but like man, as someone who's done a lot of this, unfortunately, because it it's just kind of comes with a job at a certain point in management, like part of your job is hiring and firing people. <laughs> and it so sucks. And I don't know that people really realize how hard it is for the person that has to deliver the news as much as it is for the person who also is receiving the news. It is, it is doubly sucky. To take us out of this uh, sucky moment, I have a light moment, which is... You said something also about um, how you don't want to like let someone go within your community, and how that's really difficult too. And it reminded me of this lecture that I attended years ago. I think it was shit. I think I was living in London at the time, so it was a while ago. And um, it was Mark Jacobs and somebody else, an architect, famous architect, who I'm forgetting now. But anyway, Mark Jacobs was talking about like what he did before he started Mark Jacobs. And he said that he had this job that he got fired from. And I thought it was such an interesting moment for him to talk about, cause he said how much it sucked. And it was like right at the beginning of his career, he got fired. And uh, the house he was working for, like, didn't like what he was designing. But then he goes on to talk about how out of that misery, it was kind of the most important moment of his life because it made him realize that what he needed to do was start Marc Jacobs. And Mm. I think about that story sometimes with people how when you're having to fire someone or let them go, it's because it's not a good fit. That's what it is. It's not that like they're not a good person. Absolutely. Or they're not going to make something awesome next. It's like where they are in this moment with your company is not a good fit. And often there's like way more potential on the other side and kind of like the kindest thing you can do to someone is release them from something that isn't a good fit because Mm -hmm. not being in a situation that is healthy is like, Well, it's not good. Nobody wants to be in that.
1: I'm so happy you told that story. Like, in many ways, I started Tastemakers because I technically got fired (laughs) from a job that I had in New York. And then I got fired like a year to the day later. I had had this business idea and I was like, I kind of want to work on this thing I started working on it. I wasn't working on it full time, but I was working on it enough that I couldn't focus on anything else. And so I got fired twice in one year on like- Did you get like fired or did you get laid off? The first job I got fired. My boss was like, I don't think you want to be here. (laughs) And I was like, you're probably right. And so I left, (laughs) like I just packed my stuff and left the office and was like done with it.
0: that's (laughs) drama.
1: It was. He was like, I don't think you want to be here. I was like, you're right. And so I left. And then the other job- it was a startup, and they raised, I think, a Series A, and reshuffled. And like my job wasn't a part of the things that was going to keep uh, forward.
0: So you got like reorged
1: out. Yeah, and it was like a year to the day, and uh. I was like, "Oh, I'm not supposed." But like, had that not happened, maybe I wouldn't have started my company. And I just yeah. love, love, love that you shared that story because it is not about that person's value or even that person's potential. It's literally like what I need right now and what you can give in this moment are not aligned. Yeah. Literally it. And I just I just wanted to say thank you because I definitely don't want it to be like we're... I even struggled with like whether to share the
0: story. Yeah, understandably. A lot of people do not talk about this stuff.
1: But I just felt like people need to know, like those of you listening, like if we do nothing else on this show, like the whole point of it is to keep it real. Absolutely. And to share the real moments in real time. You know, and not later when we're like super successful and shit. Like, it's like, yeah, this is the nitty gritty. This is the not so fun. This is the challenge. And so, for those of you building stuff and trying to build with others, which is basically the only way you can do these things, just know like this is a part of it. And there's some things you can do to make it human, to be empathetic, to do it in a way that doesn't harm a person's spirit Mm -hmm. in the long term. And that's something I really put a lot into when this whole thing happened. Like I had video conversations. I reminded them of all the contributions that they made. And I really, really wanted to just underscore that I care deeply about you as a human. Mm -hmm. It's just this time and the things that are needed aren't working. Mm -hmm. And I think that is one of the most important things for me. It was just like- It is. There is a way to do it and not be a scumbag.
0: Yeah. And there's a way to do it and not be a robot either. I think that's the other Mm -hmm. trap that I've seen people fall into, which is like, they're so nervous about doing either firing or laying off, which I want to draw attention to the fact those two things are- totally different and it Mm -hmm. absolutely drives me nuts when I hear people say oh I got fired and I'm like did you really get fired did you get laid off because those two things are super different one means you couldn't do your job the other one means the company was running out of money Mm -hmm. one is your fault one is not your fault get them straight they're not the same thing (laughs) people yeah Yeah, (laughs) And there's other things, too. There's other sorts of things more in the laying off category that have even more nuances, like the reorg scenario that we talked about earlier. But sometimes people get so nervous about doing it, I've seen this happen, that they end up just kind of acting like a robot or like an anxious person and forgetting to be human. And Mm -hmm. what you said about being human throughout all of it and doing it with empathy and with care and really trying to keep the relationship intact, even though you're going through a rough thing with this person is so important. And like when I had to let my team go at Vine, I really worked so hard to bring a lot of that empathy and care into it. And I know to this day there's probably some people that will always see me as the big bad wolf um cuz you know, you're the bearer of bad news and so how can you not see that? But I am really like happy to say that there were a lot of other people that saw through it all and were able to extract that what I was doing was very human and very empathetic in the moment. And I had to, I had to fight really hard for it. Actually, there was like a lot of sort of stuff that (laughs) I was like, we're going to do it this way to make it a little bit easier. And actually it's like serendipitous that you brought this up because just earlier today, I happened to be talking on the phone to one of my friends who is also, uh, someone that I, I hired and unfortunately had to lay off about three years ago. And wow. And we're still friends. And, um, You know, at first it was definitely a little bit awkward for sure, but he was able to see through it all and see the bigger picture and that I was being a human and still cared about him, even though what we were doing was super shitty. Mm -hmm. And like, he's just absolutely killing it now. He's just having like the most phenomenal career and I'm so happy for him. And I'm really happy that we still have a relationship and catch up every so often. And, um, it can be done. It takes a lot of effort on the part of the person doing it, but it can definitely be done.
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Hope that helped folks for sure. Should we talk about Record Scratch? I think we gotta. So the only Record Scratch that matters this week is, of course, the verdict on Brianna Taylor. Um, the levels of smack in the face this was. Um, for those that don't know, I guess we should catch folks up um, and not make the assumption that everyone knows what's happening. But basically, the police officers who debatable, broke in, walked in, warrant no like that whole situation. Um, but essentially nobody was charged with actually killing her. One officer is going through a process and an indictment for shooting into the apartment next door. But at the end of the day, nobody is being charged with her murder, period. And to
0: make matters worse. Well, the other two officers are not even being charged with anything at all, period. No, nothing. Nothing. Nothing at all. So just one guy. With like one ton endangerment and that's it. Yep.
1: And so I had a lot of thoughts about this whole situation. I think there is a part of me that is numb and is kind of like, of course, you know, like mm-hmm. it's just kind of like Of course, there's a part of me that's feeling very much in a moment of like, this is the potential of this place that we live in called America. Mm -hmm. But also there are other versions of this. And the opportunity for me is to sort of move the needle in the way I'm moving it. Because I was like really conflicted about what to do between that and like, RBG from last week, like, Mm. I just, as a woman, was just like, what the fuck, to be honest? Like, I was just like, this country is just in a really scary place. And that's, like, the best way to describe it. I read this article in Vox, and the journalist's name is Maddie Kahn, and her, like, grand uncle was the first person killed um, during the Holocaust, Mm. And Maddie wrote this article basically saying, like, the U.S. really needs to grapple with our racist past and basically chronicled how that happened in Germany post-World War II. And she sort of tells the story through the lens of what happened to her grand uncle. And it's so interesting because one of the things that was required of Germany was to face the facts. And and it wasn't something that a lot of people wanted to do. In the 1950s and the 1960s, there was a lot of pushback. And what happened was it wasn't the Germans that were sort of around during the 30s and 40s and sort of participated quite frankly even if they weren't Nazis it was their kids
0: it was the next generation yeah
1: that were like fuck this yeah and they started digging up stuff like it was a whole thing and so she talks about just this journey to reconciliation and the financial parts and like all these very specific things and she was like it still didn't eradicate it Mm -hmm. but it did like bring us leaps and bounds ahead you know and now we're having to deal with like new nationalism and blah, blah, blah. But, like, the article was so good in sort of laying out just how deep the work needs to be mm-hmm. and just how far the U.S. is.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And for me, the, like, verdict on Brianna Taylor is just, like, so just nobody's going to face
0: anything, anything because of this. Yeah. It's crazy. It's wild so that was the record scratch yeah it was just yeah it's really frustrating and like i listened to all the new york times daily episodes on it and they go deep into like all of the complications with the law in the state and that it's in with like the no-knock warrants but also the fact that the the other guy who was in the apartment with her made the first shot and that's why they couldn't and i was just i just wanted to scream because i was like sure whatever you have some laws but like Then there's also times to, like, look at the situation and be like, yo, like, let's do the right thing here. Like, what is going on? I lived in Germany when I was a teenager. I went to 11th grade there. And I remember going, one of my very first experiences was going to a camp in the the Alps with my friend. Mm -hmm. We were getting on the train to go to this camp, which was going to be super fun. I was pumped. We were going to, like, spend, like, you know, two weeks, like, hanging out in the Alps in a tent, like, having a great time. And I was surprised to see that nobody had any uniforms on because I was used to seeing Girl Scout uniforms in Canada Will we have girl guides. Mm. And she looked at me with this look of absolute shock and horror. And she was like, oh, nobody would ever wear a uniform. We don't do that because that's what the Nazis did. And I was like, wow. "Wow." (laughs) She was like, yeah, we don't even really fly flags here. It's not cool. She was like, don't bring it up again. And I was like, okay, all right. Damn. And it just like as if I was 15 at the time, and it was the first time I'd travel internationally by myself. And, um, oh my gosh, I literally just got off the plane and was like going to Bavaria the very next day on the train by myself, couldn't speak German yet, really, that well at all. Was like following this gaggle of teenagers across the country on a mat- crazy train, cheap, cheap train ticket that had like 12 different interchanges on it. Sounds and about right. I just remember that moment being like, wow, this is. This is really real. This is really, really real. And it takes real work and real, like, um, consistency of work. Yeah. That that generation really put into place. A lot of consistency.
1: And deep digging, even when it was uncomfortable, which I think is a theme on our show. I mean, the level of discomfort required for progress. There's a level of discomfort required that Americans in mass, I think, with COVID are beginning. To consider, but I think there is a very radical reckoning that has to happen so we don't continue to see Breonna Taylor and the long ass list of people before her men, women, anybody who's freaking different, whose lives have been lost very much because of the history in this country that we haven't reckoned with. And it's in every part of our systems. And until we in mass deal with it, these things are just going to continue. Well, here's hoping for the next generation. No, absolutely. And we are it too, though. Yeah. Like, we are it too. We are it we too. We are it too. And we have to. We have to. Like, we have to. That's just it. Um, Switch gears a little bit. I think we've got... We've got a visitor. We've got a visitor.
0: So everyone, this is the surprise for this episode, which is episode 20. And you are all about to meet our amazing producer and critic and everything. (laughs) Sam Fagoso. Hi, Sam. Hey, Sam. Sam, I must say you have a much better
1: podcast voice than I think either of us do. Like you just came on so smooth.
0: (laughs) Oh, Sam has an excellent podcast voice. I mean, he's been doing this for so long.
2: It's like five years in at this point. If it wasn't good by now, I'd be in trouble.
0: (laughs) Maybe I can change my
1: voice and get a better podcast voice. Yes. Hey, we have to work on this. Maybe you can give us voice coaching. <laughs> it's this microphone. Oh, and your microphone is legit. Oh, you have just a microphone that makes you sound extra sexy. Yeah. It's like a sexy filter.
2: That's what's happening.
1: I don't think the Yeti comes with the sexy filter, but I'm going to work on it. Maybe for season two. Yeah,
2: that's season two of the podcast. Yeah. The sexy microphones, then people are going to really like it.
1: I got it. Goals. Goals. Something to look forward to.
2: Anything to look forward to. Holy cow.
1: Anything. <laughs> So, super excited to have you on the show, Sam. One, because you're awesome and you help make us be awesome. For those that don't know Sam Fricoso, check out Talk Easy. That's his pod, which is way more far along than ours, but we're on our
0: way. <laughs> Where he interviews, like, really cool, super famous people that occasionally steal his microphones. Oh, yeah, that's right. I can't forget that.
2: Noam Chomsky (laughs) still has my microphone.
0: But he's like using it on other people's shows, right? (laughs)
2: So brief backstory for people who really want to hear it, because it's insane. Um, He's 91 years old. I sent him a microphone. We do this whole thing of setting up a microphone with him and his wife. He lives in Arizona. We get it to him in COVID, mind you, a 91-year-old. Like we're being really cautious. And we end up doing the, the episode with Noam Chomsky. And not only does he not record his side of the audio...
0: Oh, no. He doesn't
2: even really use the microphone. Like, he's kind of talking away (laughs) from it over here and over here. And as a result, we said, Professor Chomsky, we have to kind of do this again. And we are going to do it again in November after the election. But in the weeks after, I noticed, if you Google Noam Chomsky interview, he did, like, three interviews with Democracy Now! Using our (laughs) microphone... And when we ask him about it, <laughs> we're like, so the microphone, you know, how's it, you know, you still have it. And he's like, his response, which was last week, his response to uh, where the microphone is. He says, yeah, it's working great right now. <laughs> <laughs> so he just keeps using it. He
1: thought it was a gift.
2: <laughs> I think he thinks it's a gift.
1: He's Noam Chomsky, Of course. I mean, I know. I think it is a gift at this point. At
2: at this point, it is a gift. And um, (laughs) God bless him. So, look, if anyone's going to play me, it's Noam Chomsky.
1: I mean, I feel like you kind of are winning. You have this story. Yeah, you you gave him a mic. (laughs) He gave you this story. That's like where we are.
2: Now, Got Real Pod has a story.
1: Right. Now, we have the story. Yeah. So, we brought Sam on to talk about something that I'm sure a lot of you have seen The Social Dilemma on Netflix. For those that don't remember, Han is our resident uh, mad scientist, algorithmic, social media creator, know all the things, and (laughs) Sam is not so far behind her. And so we wanted to use this culture moment to unpack this film. Um, There's been a lot of chatter about it, and we couldn't have this episode go by without diving into it. So let's talk about The Social Dilemma
2: before we got into like the merits of talking about how addicted people are to social media, 99.9% of people who use Netflix really don't understand the inner workings of the tech industry. They they kind of mindlessly use their phone and use the products Mm -hmm. made by the tech industry, Mm -hmm. but they don't ask big questions about it on the basis of being kind of a remedial course on the tech industry and the problems inside it. Do you two think the movie worked? Is it compelling?
0: Yes, actually uh, I have a lot of problems with it and I had a lot of emotions while I was watching it and I'll get into my critique in a sec but as a like base hey you know here's a primer in like layman's terms for lack of better words on like how this works it's accurate. It explains what is going on and I would like recommend it to someone to be like hey so, you want to know how an algorithm works, a newsfeed algorithm in particular, you should watch this thing and educate yourself. And I think it um, it was simple enough for people to grasp really complicated concepts, which is important right now because Mm -hmm. uh, I think part of the reason AI is so scary is that it's just really complicated and hard to understand for most people. And they're like, it's the boogeyman because it's a black box of what the fuck. And it isn't really It's a bunch of math and some floating points and a probability space, but that's hard to explain to people. I think for me, it's the simplicity for me. Like, that's
1: literally what it is. I think when you're addressing subject matter like this, for you to meet people where they are. Mm -hmm. And I think the style and delivery of the film really did that in a way that didn't make people feel dumb mm-hmm. because that was a risk of it, right? So there was always, I mean, I think, um, what's this movie that was about? Um, Supersize sometimes felt like that, where it was like, uh-huh. made me feel like an idiot forever eating mm. McDonald's french fries.
0: Oh, yeah. I remember that. And like, it
1: had that vibe. And so I think this film actually didn't have that vibe. And I really liked that component of the pieces I saw. Mm-hmm. It was like, instantly, it was like, okay, like we're going to break this thing down. If you watch this and you're like half a mind, you're going to be questioning some things, which is, I hope, the goal of the film. But you're not going to be like, oh, I'm just an idiot forever logging on, which right. is how I think right. about French fries. So. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I, I think in Super Size Me, you know, it's made by this guy named Morgan Spurlock. And it's very much like, one, it's it's very egocentric and full of, his sort of rampant narcissism, but it's also pedantic in the way of how could you ever eat McNuggets?
0: Yeah, yeah.
2: Which I always thought I thought that was odd. I was like, because they're really yeah. good. because
0: McDonald's French fries are the best French and fries. Special salt.
2: I can tell you why because it's open at three in the morning after I've had too many drinks. That's why I had it. What the hell's wrong with you? Why do you think Denny's is still around? You think Denny's would be alive?
0: The other problem with that was also like you know a lot of people can't afford to eat anything better than that. And so there was like multiple angles, but yeah, this film didn't do that. I thought it was, um, it was approachable and, and easy to understand. I think.
2: Why were you getting emotional during it?
0: Well, uh, so some quick context, my specialty as a designer is designing for algorithms. It's what I do for a living. And I've been doing it for the last 14 years of my career. I started working on it really early when I was at Last.fm, which was a a music streaming service, big precursor to Spotify, building recommendation, helping build recommendation algorithms for what you should listen to. And then later I did it at the Echo Nest where I built my first company. The Echo Nest got acquired by Spotify. All of the algorithms there now power your Discover Weekly and other Spotify playlists. So I spent about almost 10 years working on algorithms in the music space and then moved into video where I've since worked on it in there. And I've really focused in now on algorithms for creation as opposed to algorithms for consumption, which I want to get into in a sec. But my headline critique on this film is that it needed like a huge, big, fat context up front that was like, we're talking about algorithms for news feeds, because there's algorithms everywhere. There's machine learning and artificial intelligence in literally everything that you're using, including, for example, your Netflix recommendations. Like, you got recommended The Social Dilemma because you watch other stuff like that. Like That is how Netflix makes Mm -hmm, their money. mm -hmm. (laughs) Like, it's kind of funny that it came out on the streaming service that is popular because it has a really good algorithm for what you like to watch. The difference is, is that Designing algorithms for entertainment is a lot less scary, in my opinion, and it's why I've always stayed in that zone, because suggesting people what they should listen to or what they should watch, that doesn't feel as difficult for me to do as something like a newsfeed, where you could be literally influencing someone's um, voting decision, which I've never worked on that, to be clear. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was the one big thing, is I felt like it really needed like some big context that what they were talking about in that film was specifically AI for news feeds. And not for all the other things that we use it for, like every single piece of technology we touch has machine learning in it. It's not something that just came out of the bushes and like jumped on us in 2020. It's been here for a while. Mm -hmm. Um, The second part was, this is kind of snarky, but like as someone who who has worked in that industry, I just thought it was hilarious that here you have like this whole lineup of white dudes, mostly, from the Silicon Valley who are super rich. Like these guys have fuck you money. And they all are like, oh, you know, we worked on these things that are kind of bad. Mm -hmm. And now we're gonna tell you about them, but only now, cause we're like rich off them. Nobody was talking about this while they were doing it, right? And there was this tweet that my friend brought to my attention that I have to read out on the show because I was just like killing myself laughing over this. But it was like, Mm -hmm. hello, my name is Chip Brockman. I was the SVP of innovating new brain diseases at Facebook for three years. Before that, I was the director of monetizing depression at Pinterest now that I've gotten rich from that, I'm here to talk about the dangers of technology.
2: Yeah, that's great. <laughs> like, that was great.
0: Yeah, that those were like the two big strong emotions that were running through me. But I want to talk about also the other cool things you can use algorithms for later on this show. But I do think overall it was it was an important film to come out right now at this particular moment in time with everything that's happening in America, with how polarized this country is mm-hmm. at this moment. I'm glad somebody made that thing, even though... You
2: know, it definitely had the feeling of when in those post 2008 financial crisis docs. Oh,
0: my gosh. totally! You had these yeah.
2: Wall Street bankers coming to terms and saying,
1: you know, oh,
2: actually, we the did the system. I didn't know <laughs> entirely what was going on. I still have a house in Montauk. I, still have a, <laughs> I feel bad when I'm at my pool. I do feel, I do bad. feel bad. So you watch this whole movie. And besides this sort of cavalcade of white men, which feels pretty much representative of Mm -hmm. of what I know of the the tech industry.
0: Yeah. It was very representative. Yeah.
2: There is a moral reckoning that they're having. Mm -hmm. Mm. And so you have a couple ways to respond to it. One, you say, well, why now? Why did it take so long? And then once you get past that, you say, well, better late than never, Mm -hmm. because it it could have very easily been never. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I'm glad they did it. I wish they did it earlier. But at least they got real people, what seemed to be real people in real positions of power. Yeah. Not like intern who was there for three months or college student who had a two-year you know, minimum wage job. Yeah. I have a question. You both have created companies through technology. Mm-hmm. And so when you're watching this movie at home, how did you both reflect on your own personal use of technology Mm. in your day-to-day life Mm. during this film and then after?
0: Oh, well, I knew all the the things that they were saying are absolutely true. Like, I monitor my use of technology. Like, the way he was talking about his kid, where he's like, oh, we don't let them use it. It's like this much hours, we don't do it in the bed. Like, a thousand percent since day one. Like, there's no way I would let myself do that, because I know it just fucks you up.
2: What about you, Sheree?
0: So, I probably think about
1: it a little bit differently, because... For me, as much as I understand what's happening on the back end and I'm sort of very clear on how things are being fed to me, that everything I'm doing is being watched, studied, et cetera, it is still the great equalizer for me. Like, I didn't know any investors. I didn't have an existing audience. I didn't have any of those things. And so for me to opt out would be a major challenge because so much of what I've been able to do has been because of these tools. Mm -hmm. I just thought Facebook was annoying, and so I stopped using it. Like, I just don't like it. And generally speaking, I tend to exist on platforms where the algorithm feels optimized in a way that is more supportive. And this is just like my default where I do feel super concerned and realize that there's a level of vigilance that I need to step up is with my son. Mm-hmm. You know, he's not on Facebook or on Instagram, but even in YouTube, there's been a few times when my son has, like, parroted an opinion that I know he just got from social. Yeah, And I'm like, you don't believe that. And so that, the line between what we actually believe versus what we think we believe, being blurred because of these tools, really, really hit for me. Mm.
2: Can't possibly begin to fathom what it's like to be a kid right now.
1: Especially one that's like remote learning, because they're on a device at a young age where discernment doesn't exist. Right. And if you're just bombarded with messages. Yeah.
2: I always equate it to this idea of sense of self. Like, The reason child actors have such a hard time once they grow up is because when you're 12 and 11 and 10 and you're famous and you're given a bunch of money, that doesn't make that much sense. Like there's a lot of new brain connectivity and brain activity and people coming at you and too much happening at once before you even have figured out who you even kind of are. Mm. And now... Every teenager is dealing with that same struggle, constantly inundated with their friends' opinions on the most like inane topics mm-hmm. before a sense of self has been created. And that, that part really scares me.
0: It is a really scary time to be a kid right now, especially everything being online. I heard the other day that like Google Docs is now the new way you pass notes in class. I'm like, oh damn, that makes so much sense. It's like where you flirt with your classmates is in your Google Docs. I'm that like, is okay.
2: such a bummer. That is such a bummer because it completely ruins. You're like seeing the person click down on the Google Doc page or different colors. Like, Better
0: leave a comment. Better You got to leave
2: a comment. You also have to like, stick to whatever you type instead of, like, erasing your fucking shitty...
0: Yeah, but you can also creep on the dock in, like, you know, anonymous mode and be, like, an anonymous squirrel at the top of the document. And
2: I don't trust those people.
0: It's kind of, It's kind of interesting. I try to approach all of this stuff with a lot of curiosity because it's a big part of how I do my work is to, like, be curious about technology and imagine what it could be used for in positive ways, not just negative ways. And, like, I think... The other big piece of context that this thing was missing is, um, yeah, it's that, that like science is invention. Science is innovation. It is powerful. And you can use it for good. You can use it for evil. You can use it for everything in between. And what really bothers me is when new science, when innovation, when technology is getting painted all with one color as bad. The one thing about this documentary that I was really concerned about after watching it is that people are gonna step up away from it and be like, AI is bad. All AI is bad. It's taking our jobs, it's rotting our brains, it's feeding us stuff on our news fades. And that's simply not true. There are so many things that AI does for us that is so powerful, that makes us more efficient, that enhances our lives, enhances our jobs, And we haven't even scratched the surface of it yet. Mm. There's algorithms for consumption. There's the stuff that gets pushed to us that we consume. And a lot of the criticism around those algorithms is that it keeps us in these bubbles where we don't learn about other perspectives. We're not exposed Mm. to how people might critique our opinions. And we might just not develop new tastes. Think about that mentality when you're looking at Netflix or when you're looking at your news feed or uh-huh. when you're looking at your Instagram feed, it's the same principle, which is like, it's designed to keep you happy, not to challenge you. But what I mean by when you say like, we've only scratched the surface, what we haven't really investigated yet, and this is just starting to happen, is using machine learning and AI for creation. And I really believe when I like look into the abyss... uh <laughs> trash pile on Mm. fire that is 2020. And I think the thing that's going to get us out of there is algorithms for creation. Mm. And the reason that I believe that is because by applying machine learning to creation, what you do is you reduce the barrier to entry so that more people can create more stuff. Like think about Grammarly, it's a very simple concept. It helps you write better so that you can send better emails so that you can get a better job so that you can make your resume look better. And if you imagine how you apply that to like photos, or to video, or to music, or to all these awesome things that we're going to make as people, that's like more media, that's more culture, that's more diversity, that's more opinions. And like, we just haven't got there yet.
2: There's so many parts of this that that would take 8,000 podcasts to unpack. With to you. explain. <laughs> you and I are friends in part, because we have completely different philosophies and ideologies on, on this. When you're telling me, The tools and the situation that we're in, the hellhole that we're in, the only way out of it is to go deeper in and better use the technology. It's really depressing.
1: (laughs) That's hilarious.
2: Sheree, where are you at before we leave on our two sides here?
1: I'm definitely on the team get up off of this thing. Like, I just think that our brains are just not functioning in the way that they should. We're not giving ourselves literally idle time to just think. Like every moment is filled with an input, whether that input is controlled by an algorithm or not aside. I just think like inventions happen when you have time to think. Mm-hmm. I think that particularly my generation is the last generation that remembered what that was like, like before you were occupied and my formative moments when I thought of who I wanted to be in the world when I grow up, this idea of my own point of view, who I am, which you talked about earlier, Sam, it was formed by having that space. And we don't have that space anymore. So mm-hmm. I don't know that I want to use technology better and I want it to get sm- I think we need to kind of move to a point of separation. I think we need to be super yeah. intentional about where we're using it. I always say all the time, like, I am a creator on the internet. I'm actually not that great of a consumer on the internet. And I don't ever want to be a good consumer of internet content. I want to create it. I want to understand it. Mm -hmm. I want to know how it works because I want to be able to reach people. And I would like to be a contributor that makes internet consumption a better place. For me, I would like us to reclaim more of that space rather than spend more time on the internet that's now smarter.
2: I agree. Be thoughtful. Create your own space. And, uh, you know, think about what you're doing when you're online every day. So Hannah Donovan, Shre Robinson. Great names. Right. Um, Thank you so much for having me on.
0: Thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for coming on, Sam. This was really fun and special for episode 20. And thank you so much for helping us get all the way to here. I can't believe we're at episode 20.
2: Here's to uh, 20 more. Yes. (laughs) They're like, oh, my God. (laughs) Uh,
0: (laughs) Oh, my gosh. Well,
1: everyone, that's the show. It's been real. Wait,
0: Wait, you need to give us some takeaways. Oh, my
1: God. Not the takeaway of go watch. and this. then we can wrap up. I'll the show. do them very quickly. <laughs> One, as CEO, you need to optimize for your company. You don't have the time to optimize for anything else that sounds harsher than it is, but it is the truth, no matter what. So you really have to understand what that means and how you're making decisions. The second takeaway is you need to get clear on the outcomes you need for your company to be successful. And then you need to hire people who have done those very things before. You cannot hire for potential or maybe they can do it or I think I know what I need to get done. Like those two things have to be aligned and you cannot take risk mm. on Someone learning on the job Mm -hmm. because you don't have the time to support them. Like it doesn't work that way. You need them to be telling you why this is the way to go and not the other way around.
0: A really helpful strategy on that one is to divide them into outcomes and outputs, like optimize for the outcomes, but hire people who have done those specific outputs before. Like they've made those exact deliverables that you're looking for. And then the last one, and I
1: think this goes across most of our lives, but Specific to if you ever get into a situation where mm-hmm. you do need to fire someone and, or let someone go, um, have empathy. There is a way to do it that is not stoic or robotic. There's a way to do it that is not douchey. There's <laughs> a way to do it that shows that you actually care and that you value the time that you spent with that person working on something that's really important to you, but that is just not a fit. And I think just remembering that this is about fit and timing, it's not about a declaration of value and ability of a person.
0: Thank you, Sheree. And thank you so much for listening to this special episode 20. As usual, you can find us on the internet at Got Real Pod on Instagram or Twitter. We would love to hear from you. And we might even be starting a mailing list soon so you can email us your questions, which could be cool. And we'll see you next Thursday. Thank you for listening. Hold
2: on. You can also listen to the show on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, wherever you do your listening. That's my edition. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to bring me on. I'm going to make sure we plug the show. Okay. This was so good. Thank you so much for having me. Sheree, Hannah, thank you.
0: Bye. Bye.